Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Hello everyone, Reese Tiefertiller with his dad Jeff hosting Bob Harris, the venerable Bob Harris, the been in this industry longer than Reese has been alive easily. This is 14, Bob. I mean, you know, that was Times two. Exactly. And so the podcast name is Fancy Football Predictive Analytics, named after Reese's book. Bob, we are t- recording this on Monday afternoon after week one. Oh, it feels good, doesn't it? It, it was great to see football. And thank you for having me on, Reese. I appreciate the invite, Jeff. Uh, thank you as well. Um, yeah, you know, it's so... I, mean, I kind of spent the entire last four or five months, you know, telling anyone who would listen, and surprisingly, there are people who still do, uh, that there would be football. And not because I'm prescient or because I'm a scientist or an epidemiologist or any of these things, uh, but mostly because, uh, you know, one thing was clear this entire time. The NFL was dead set on playing football. And you can go back to you know, March when everyone said, man, you can't pay a bunch of guys, you know, hundreds of million dollars in free agency to pandemic. It's not a good look. And the NFL said, oh, excuse us while we pay these guys hundreds of millions of dollars. And they said, well, you can't have a draft. And they said, ah, excuse us while we have a draft on Zoom. Well, they can't have offseason. Yes, we can. But where's the Zoom? And so just every step of the way. But I think a couple of things, you know, uh, that really gave me, that really encouraged me uh, in all seriousness was listening to the people in charge of the medical aspects of this for both the NFL and the NFL, NFL PA. I think it's the Alan Sills and uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, Thayer. I'm thinking Thayer. But anyway, they had some really smart people in charge of both the NFL PA and NFL medical systems. But also, you know, talking to people who work for the league, you know, and hearing that, you know, Roger Goodell at some point said, look, you know, hope is not a strategy. I want <laughs> strategies for every single thing. And they had them. And despite some, you know, emotional type reporting and some of the you know above board negotiations that always sound more contentious than the actual negotiations seems like everything's kind of worked out pretty well players are being incredibly responsible i think that's you know as baseball learned i mean you have to have everyone has to be buying in on this and so just seems like uh you know people have gone to great lengths now we have introduced a new variable now that there's a season it's called travel (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, and I, and I don't know if that's going to, you know, how that's going to change things. I think they'll continue to be careful and responsible and do things wisely. And, and hopefully that will keep, keep a lid on this to the degree possible. Well, we think there was 2000 was the report Saturday or Sunday, 2000 NFL players, coaches, staff, refs, all came out with negative, uh, testing over the weekend, which is amazing and it shows the accountability that the players are holding themselves to. I want to give the players their credit, the coaches Definitely. their credit, the refs their credit, because if the players were not going to hold each other accountable, it would not happen. You right. would have it, something happen like basketball. Totally true. And, you know, I think that, you know, look, things move fast in the world right now. I mean, it's, it's very difficult. To, things move fast on my phone too. It's very <laughs> difficult to, uh, you know, to guess what the next th- coming thing is. I mean, honestly, we have no idea the way things move right now. Um, but I just, I feel like everyone te- seems to be responding uh, to new issues arising and uh, paying heed to things and doing the things necessary. I hope that continues. I love the football uh, and I love covering the football. So 
uh, hoping that there's the football is obviously, you know, something I'm going to do remain optimistic and hopeful uh, because man, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's been 30 years. I've been doing this every damn day. And I'm, you know, I've thought about a thousand times like, man, I'm going to quit. And then I think, well, I don't know what else I would do. I would probably still do it even if I didn't do it. So there's that. All right. You mentioned 30 years. So in the fantasy world, I'm an old guy. I've been doing it since 07. I'm an old guy. And I don't mean age. I don't mean the gray in our whiskers or any of that stuff, Bob. I just mean, you know, that's a long time. There's a lot that's changed since 07 to now for me. Tell us how you got started in the industry because you make me your time in the industry. You, you said 30 years makes mine feel like I'm still a teenager, you know? And so I always look up to you guys that we had David Dodds on a couple weeks ago and you know, those guys that paved the way to make, so we see all the analytics versus tape conversations and all that, but people forget there were guys arguing on the message board about box scores in the USA today. You right. know, I mean, it, it's, def, it's true. But, you know, you speak of David Dodds, <clears throat> you know, there is somebody who I literally spent countless hours on the phone with or as many hours as I could because I needed to get back on the internet to get the dial up on. So all the things we talked about the coding and I mean, we did tons of stuff trying to figure out how to, you know, turn this into an, an online enterprise back in those days. And so, you know, I mean, and I say countless hours, I mean, they are truly countless. Um, but uh, yeah, so what happened was I, I started playing fantasy football in 1986 and it took about two games for me to realize we don't have enough information to play this game properly, right? I mean, you're, you know, you mentioned USA Today. The injury report would come out in USA Today on Wednesday, and you would go by that. And by Sunday, obviously, people who you fully expected to play listed as probable weren't playing. And, and those, you know, things seemed problematic, and they were obviously were to me. So over the course of the next few years, I, start, I was a graphic designer. I started doing a newsletter for my league. Uh, it was called the Tucson Football League. So I made a thing called the TFL Report. And uh, it was a, I would print it out and give it to friends. And it was like smack talk, but a little bit of information. And, and it just kind of, over time, turned into more and more of a thing. And then I think in 1993, I decided to make it a real thing. And so I put an ad in USA Today, which is where everyone got their information, saying, hey, I have more information. And uh, it started out that year, it was a... a Literally, I was a graphic designer, so everything had to be done like a certain way. Uh, so I printed out a thing every week. We would, I would write everything up, you know, starting Sunday night. We would print it out, uh, you know, get it all ready and then fill in the Monday info, take it to the image setters uh, late Monday night, get it to the printer Tuesday, get it in the mailboxes on literally a 12-page newsletter in the mail on Wednesday and hope that it would show up to people's houses by the weekend but we supplemented that with a fax so everyone could get a fax on their choice of Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I had a kid in uh, New York City who worked for WFAN Radio, WFAN, or however they say that there. There's a way to say that that's correct. And I don't, I'm not there, so I don't know. But anyhow, he would call me. He was a producer for the uh, Mike Francesca show. And, uh, and he would call me and he'd say, hey, Harris, here's what's going on. And, and I would put it into a fax and have all the injury info for that day and send it out in a one-page fax, which was difficult early on. The technology was not phenomenal. I would use my computer, and I had one phone line. 
So as soon as somebody's fax was late and they could get through the phone and call me to say, why is my fax late? Every fax crashed and everyone's faxes were late. And uh, so I would sit there in a puddle of tears and sweat and, and uh, you know, I struggled through the first year, the next year found out about fax services. So could broadcast the faxes. And then about the third year, it was 94, 95, uh, one of my subscribers you know, called me and said, hey, have you ever heard of this thing, the World Wide Web? I said, no, no, I have not. And they said, well, what if I told you you could send one or one million of something as easily and for the same price? And I said, well, you would, I would ask you to tell me more. And they did. And so, so everything got and went online and, and, it, and it, it obviously grew, grew from there. And I think, you know, as we get into the online component, I mean, I think that's where this industry changed in the middle to late 90s, 96, 97, 98, when the NFL realized, oh, wow, this is not gambling. This is not something we want to avoid. This is something that people are interested in and will help us promote our own business. And, and once they started blowing the promotional wind into the sale of this whole thing is when it started taking off. Oh, yeah. And the ratings for New Orleans, Tampa Bay being so high yesterday show that. So there are two things that I want to explain since Reese is 14. So Reese, we had one phone line that came into the house. It was your internet, it was your fax, and it's what people called you on. You had no mobile phone, you had no internet outside of this. And when I say it's the slowest internet that you can ever imagine in your life, I mean you could go start downloading something, go cook dinner, come back and check it 50%, go eat dinner, come back and be ready to work. Is that fair, Bob? That would be very fair. And. Uh... <laughs> And it, 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 that was, you know, truly a limiting factor. So as you know, over the time, obviously the improvements in technology have been amazing. Uh, one of the things I started doing early on was realizing, oh, wow, look, uh, this World Wide Web thing, there's no, there's no reason I can't look like however I want to look. Like I could look like Microsoft if I want to look like Microsoft. And again, as a designer, I said, wow, this is my chance to gain a little leverage here. And so, you know, one of the things I did back then was try to make, you know, I helped, uh, you know, a lot of people in the industry improve their appearance because I felt like as an industry, the better we all look, the more legitimate this whole thing would seem, the more it would benefit me, Bob Harris, because in the end, that's all that matters is what benefits me, Bob Harris. But, but that's, and so that's how I got, you know, kind of hooked up with guys like, you know, David Dodge, Joe Bryant, uh, as you know, and, and many, many others. I mean, you know, worked with almost everyone in the business back in the day and, and over the course of time. And so it, w it was really cool. And you mentioned the USA Today thing. I got to say, you know, one of the things that carried me through was uh, uh, in the old days, Reese, we had something called CompuServe. And it was like uh, an online service. And, and I would use that to get the box scores directly from the Associated Press the night of the games. And then I bought a 900 number and I would record the box scores and people would call. And that's how I may actually lived was by people would call in and pay uh, to hear that, those recordings because they didn't want to wait till the next day to go get their USA Today. Why? Because for the same reason, fantasy people are fantasy people. They want that edge. They want to be able to call their friends and say, oh, guess what? I beat you. And well, how do you know? Well, I have sources, you know, that kind of thing. So that was kind of, uh, that was kind of one of the things that kept me floating early on. Because it turns out, um, no matter how much I thought this was going to be the biggest business in the world, and it now is, uh, I'm about 30 years from breaking even. <laughs> so you mentioned that you've had lots of jobs during your fantasy career. What's been your favorite one? Um, 
So, uh, you know, it, I guess it, it's, it's kind of changed as the times change. I mean, early on, I loved the design aspect and the, you know, gaining that little edge and, you know, part of what made me love fantasy football is the same thing that made me love the technology end of this business was the ability to create my own little world. You know, just like when I was five and I stacked my army men up and around and you'd create these, you know, same thing carried over to the adulthood. And so I love the technology aspect. I, so I guess the easy part would be to say what part I didn't like and still don't like. And that would be the business part um, because I'm horrible at it. Um, and so I've been fortunate that over time I have met people who are better at it, who have allowed me to take to focus on the parts of it I do enjoy. And so and most for the most part, that's been Emil Cadillac, who I still work for and I've worked for since about 93, 94, 95, right in that range. I started out by myself the first couple of years and, uh, and, and, and kind of started working for other for and with other people over that course of that time. He's been the constant uh, along those lines. That's almost 30 years. Yeah, that's a long time. It's like 27, 27 some years. Yeah. All right, so let's kick it into this week. Bob, I enjoy hearing those stories because the, the young guys that we've interviewed that are under 30, and there's a lot of really sharp guys. I oh, want that, to give them all of their due. They don't realize how hard it was when guys like yourself were doing design and special programs. It wasn't just something that came with Microsoft or Adobe. Yeah, they, me and David Dodd's trying to hack websites to figure out how their cash register works so we could actually make some money too off our stuff. Things like that were great. But, but I want to say too, and I, and I think it's a great point and it needs to be brought up, is the level of thought now in the football side of this is amazing. And there is, uh, you know, every day I see somebody else, I go, God, man, why is this smart person doing what I struggle to do so easily? And it's just, it's been an ongoing thing. I think part of the, you know, one of the benefits I've had is I've, you know, grown in the, in the business. And one of my jobs is, you know, magazine editor is finding writers for the magazines, things like that that part of my job has become like almost too hard because of the amount of talent out there. And I, I just think it can't be stressed how amazing it is. The number of really smart uh, forward thinking people have got into this and, and the changes they've made to how we play the game. Yes. And that's why I want to introduce Reese to as many people in the industry as possible. A lot of them have affected how he thought when he wrote this little book and they were, you know, you don't realize the sum of the parts of people that that affect your thinking, you know, right. you see it after. And so, you know, we've had the Grant Barfields, the Scott Barracks, the Rich Rebars, the uh, Heath Cummings, the Shane Hallams, and the list goes on and on. These young guys that are- All guys I love, by the way. Oh yeah, me too. And who I've had right for me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are all great. And so Matt Harmon's another one that's a band. Yep. We're, we're great fans of Matt. Yeah. What other questions, Reese, do you have for uh, Mr. Mr. Harris? You call so, me Bob. You, <laughs> <laughs> so you interviewed a lot of beat writers over the weekend before the NFL season started. What were, what were some of the most interesting nuggets that you got from them? Oh, man, so many. Uh, I mean, each and every week. I, you know, and I guess this is something that you, you, know, you learn over time that, you know, the thing that – and it helps you in life as well. It's like you, you'll sit there – and you know there's five different versions of every story, right? And you're going to pull out that thread of truth. It's in there all mixed up in that bowl of spaghetti of stories. And everyone has a, a point of view. That includes the beat writers to a degree. 
A lot of them have built narratives that they're, you know, that they want to support. And sometimes, you know, and it's not saying they're dishonest, wrong, whatever. We put a lot on beat writers as a fantasy community. They used to be just reporters. This happened. Now they're reporters slash analysts and it's, this happened and this is what it means. And, and so this has been an evolution for them too. And their ability to understand what things mean is not necessarily that much greater than ours. Uh, I think what I would say is the thing that I love the most is the beat writers who speak our language. And I talked to one, I've talked to many of them in the last week. You know, I talked to multiple every week. And, uh, but talk to Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press on the air Sunday and in the week before. And he'll start talking about in PPR formats or whatever. <laughs> and and I, there are other guys. I think it's Vinny Bonsignor for, uh, from the – I think he's gone to the Las Vegas Review Journal now. Or may still be with The Athletic. They move around a lot. But when, they, you, know, when you have a reporter on who will do a breakdown, this guy in Dynasty, this guy in Standard Scoring, this guy in PPR – those are kind of, that's the kind of information we're getting. But in terms of nuggets, just, you know, specific ones in recent weeks, talk to Scott. So I've talked to three different Buccaneers beat writers in the last week to 10 days. All of them have had slightly different views on how things would play out there. All of them said Tom Brady looked incredibly sharp. So we'll start there. And we all saw that he did not look incredibly sharp against the Saints. Although, let's be fair, the Saints have a vote in this and their defense voted strongly. Yes. But, uh, you know, the various impressions were, number one, uh, Mike Evans is going to be the lead receiver. Chris Godwin may or may not be hurt. Got a lot of rest over the course of training camp, and they thought that was unusual. That was pretty widely held view. Um, the running back pecking order, Ronald Jones is locked in until he's not. Um, and that Leonard Fournette is more likely to cut into LaShawn McCoy's workload than he is Ronald Jones to start things off basically thinking that his receiving skills he demonstrated last season were sufficient to, to do that and that McCoy is almost as old as me. Yeah. Not really, but almost. Um, and then that the receiving pecking order is Evans, Godwin, Gronk. Then that the receiving order is Godwin, Evans, Howard. So, and I guess the point is, depending on who you talk to, all these people have different views. So, uh, the nuggets that you get, there are good ones. Jordan, Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic, you know, kind of confirmed things that I believed already. And I think that's one thing we look for a lot when you talk to him. You want to hear the thing that you already believe. But she, she, she thought Cam Akers would, you know, maybe take over the lead role in Los Angeles. Uh, she's with The Athletic by week eight. So yesterday I started all my Malcolm Brown shares, you know, kind of based on that tidbit. Going to win all those leagues. I think I've been about six leagues, but um, but other similar things like the you know the split in Washington or in Detroit, where you know I predicted on Saturday night on my NFL radio show that it would be Peterson, Johnson, and Swift, kind of based on what these beat writers said, turned out pretty close, you know, close enough. Peterson being the lead back, um, so God, so many tidbits. I mean, honestly, Reese, everyone I talk to gives me a tidbit. The question is, is do I believe it? And most of whether I believe it or not is how invested. Like I've been hearing from a guy in uh, the Orange County Register, Gilbert Manzano. So first of all, I heard from Matt Waldman way back. Hey, Joshua Kelly. And so I've been thinking Joshua Kelly. And so, you know, you do the calculus in your head, opportunity, you know, possible role, Justin Jackson, not that good. And then you talk to Gilbert Manzano and he says, yeah, man, Joshua Kelly's looking good. This might work out. And so boom, started some Joshua Kelly as well yesterday which I probably wouldn't have done without getting that confirmation from the guy on the ground. So 
So many tidbits, man. So many. Reese and I talk often, and I'm setting up his next question. And Bob, in our fancy world, I want to say this. This is Monday afternoon. We're recording this. I gained a lot of respect for Graham Barfield this afternoon. I'll tell you why. He was the only guy on Twitter this whole day that I saw thousands of tweets that said, you know, I think I found an, an opportunity to make my process better, meaning I missed on somebody. Right. Because we, we all look for that confirmation bias, right? I right. Mean, whether it's politics or exactly. football, we're like, you know, that guy's smart because he believes just like I do. You know what I mean? And I just, that that's part that, all right, as a dad of a 14-year-old, I'm like, self-evaluation is your friend. Self-evaluate, you know. Right. Like, you will not grow unless, and so two things that you said that, that made me really think that. The Malcolm Brown, because he looked kind of pedestrian last year, but for him to be outplaying Akers that much this early, that's noteworthy. As yeah. well as Peterson walking in off the street. I know carry on's been hurt. Peterson walking off the street and being the bell cow, those are notable, right? Oh, I think so. I think so. So, just the broader point there, and Reese, you should. This is worth noting. Is I, you know, I go back to something Peter King wrote. I used to write for Sports Illustrated a long time ago, and uh, and I wrote you know a story about how everybody lies, and uh, and because everybody does, whether they mean to or not, right? I mean, you know, it's just for the reasons you said, Jeff, for the confirmation bias. We hear the things we want to hear. We ignore the things we don't want to hear. And one of the things that I cited in that article was something I read from Peter King uh, long ago was, you know, a reader asked him, do reporters root for teams? Because no, we root for stories. They root for, and they do. We root for the stories, the narratives that we build. Like I've spent an entire off season building a narrative or telling myself a story to convince myself that AJ Green is going to turn back into AJ Green, right? I'm glad I saw some little things in, you know, week one that suggests that, yes, he may turn into this and that Joe Burrow may be a guy that could fully take advantage of this. A thousand little moving pieces to this story. But in the end, what makes me better or what makes me good at this, if I am good at this, is the willingness to bail on my narrative and say, that's wrong. The minute I see it's wrong, right? And I think that's what the good, the people who are good at this are quick and able to get off their narrative or at least admit their narrative is falling short. Like, look, I can still believe in AJ Green. And, and if he gets hurt, you know, in practice this week and it never bears out, I wasn't wrong because I never got a chance to be wrong, right? So, uh, but I mean, being able to just, you know, I think the thing that you need to realize is uh, doing this business, everyone out there thinks they can do your job, thinks they're just as smart a player uh, just as able to communicate their ideas as you are. And the truth is they're not wrong. It's just, I was stupid enough to do this for free for 20 years before I started getting paid for it. And they had actual jobs and weren't in positions to do what I was able to do there, you know, and I think you need to respect that your readers, your audience is as smart as you and you're not fooling them. They know when you're wrong. And if you're the last one to admit you're wrong, you're not going to last very long in this business. You should be the leader of that parade. So when you're wrong, get out in front of it and say, yeah, I was wrong. Here's why. But also when you're setting up your narrative, you should use the Matt Harmon range of outcomes, right? You should make sure everyone realizes, Hey, when I, when I'm thinking this, I'm thinking this is the range, the, the, the outcome I expect. 
But here's the other possibility, and it might not be great, and here's why. And it's something I, you know, if you go to my Twitter feed, you'll see my, the quote there, the man who knows one side of the story knows neither. Yes. I believe that. I believe I need to be able to argue against my narrative as well as I can argue for it to make my point. And if I can do that, I'll be able to quickly say, oh, look, I'm wrong on this. I need to dial back and explain why I was wrong. And that's where I can educate the audience and, and, and you know, hopefully keep them when I am wrong. Because it's going to happen a lot. Okay, it has happened a lot. It does happen a lot. Yep. And you have to be willing to own that and explain the process that got you where you were and what part of it led to you being wrong because that's how you get better and that's how you make your audience better. That's how you help them progress in the game. Yes, and I dislike people that double down. You know, week one and they double down. And to your point, I want to explain the, the range of outcomes. I want to kick it to Reese here, right? If somebody says, did A.J. Green have a good game? The answer is not yes or no. The answer right. is, on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you think his game was? You know, because that's how we should see life. Did you have a good day? It's not thumb up, thumb down. Was exactly. Mitch Trubisky good, thumb up or thumb down? Let's think of it on a scale and say perspective. Anyway, that's my well, two bits. Just to add to that a little bit, Reese, bear with me. We live in a world that wants absolutes black and whites. Yes. And we live in this world of shades of thousands of grays and nuance. And, and there's nothing, nothing is black and white. Uh, no matter how much somebody tells you it is or insists that you see it their way, there are things that you could use and you can view and always learn from and say, look, man, there's a, there's a counterbalancing factor here that maybe we should take into account. And there are going to be people out there who are proponents of one idea or the other who are going to tell you, no, that's nonsensical. You know, you get to think for yourself and decide these things on your own and taking into account all the possibilities and all that nuance. Uh, no, granted, it doesn't fit into 15 seconds of news or sports talk radio or whatever. Um, it's still valuable. What, do you, what, do you, what questions do you have for Bob as we talk about yesterday? Okay, so Jared Goff did not play well according to fantasy terms. Did you think he actually did play well but and was more of a Phillip Rivers of the 2014s, or was he just a bad quarterback as he was last year for most of it? I don't know. So we, this is maybe an example of that. He, you know, we could say that Jared Goff was a bad quarterback, or we could say weeks 13 through 17, Jared, Jared Goff was quarterback five in fantasy, yes. right? I mean, both those things are true. And generally, he was bad. Is he inspiring? I don't think he's inspiring. I don't think he's a guy that I view as an upside play, yet he has been an upside play at times. So, it, but, you know, my perception is, in general, he's, you know, kind of been a game manager. Maybe we're all still living the disappointment of the Super Bowl, right? And these are things that you take into account, too, when you're setting your, building your narratives and setting your, you know, your range of outcomes is, you know, first thing I do after a season is I make a list of people who disappointed everybody. Because those are guys I'm getting cheaper in drafts this year. And Jared Goff was on that list. That doesn't mean I went out and got him, but he was very disappointing, right? Even though he had that great five-game stretch to end the season. Um, I thought he looked very Goffish in this game. And by that, the thing I'm looking for him to do uh, is fuel the fires of the fantasy commodities there that I want, the assets that I'm interested in, the Cooper Cup, the Robert Woods, uh, the Tyler Higby. Maybe it turns out Gerald Everett will be one of those as well. Uh, maybe Van Jefferson will turn out to be one of those. 
and I thought he was serviceable in that regard. I thought he did. A, I thought he did as good a job as I wanted him to do there. Plus, Reese, who was it that told us about the TD regression for Goff? Was it Rich? I believe it was in a, one of Rich's articles that said uh, he had seven uh, receptions where the, his receiver was tackled at the one. Yes, and he yes. never got the touchdown. And yeah. so you would say, huh, maybe there's a little positive upside. But you know, I, I think we. Now this is this sounds nonsensical, Bob, but I think we confirmation bias. We want to see what we want to see from week one, and there should be obvious signs like go out and pick up Malcolm Brown off your waiver wire. Go out and pick up Naeem Hines. Right. Go do this. Go do this. But then there's some negative ones that we should go. Huh. That should make us reevaluate. Like I put a poll out on Twitter today. Who's and I'm going to ask you this question: Who starts more games this year? Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield. Um, Carson Wentz is not going to last another three games if the offensive line there doesn't get better. So I'll go with Baker Mayfield at this point. <laughs> That's painful though, isn't it? You know what right. I mean? Like, right. So I, th- I, th- I do think that there, you know, there are guys that, you know, we invest in based on, you know, some of these thoughts, like you mentioned Marquise Brown. Well, you're not picking him off, off the waiver wire if you're in a league with me. Uh, <laughs> he's on a roster, but that's a guy that, you know, that I listened to over the off season. And then, you know, you talk about building the narratives. Here's why I built that one. And it's because last summer I listened to the coaches in Baltimore, tell me how great Lamar Jackson was going to be, how he was going to redefine the way offenses played, how they were going to change the way their offense was designed to take advantage of his unique skills and maximize his potential. Uh, so in August, I started buying him in those double digit shares, right? And, you know, it rose up to eighth round maybe, and I was still buying, and it won me a lot of money in best ball. This summer, I heard coaches talking in similar ways, the Ravens coaches, about Marquise Brown, saying similar things about the leap he's going to make and their expectations for him. And so that's how, that's how I build a narrative. I kind of go back on that history of, oh, look, those guys told me this was going to work. Now they're telling me this. And so, so I invested in it based on that. I think it's going to pay off. I hope it pays off. I thought I saw enough. I saw enough yesterday. His biggest problem is the other guy I'm heavily invested in is Mark Andrews. So, I mean, that guy is clearly the best receiver on that team. And if some people don't start covering him, uh, perhaps the Browns should pay attention to that next game. Cover that guy, Mark Andrews. He's really good. Yeah, two. And Mark Andrews had two touchdowns last time the Browns played the Ravens. In fact, they were in like the first, and they're in the final two minutes of the half. When the Browns kept on choking. Yep, yep, yep. What Browns do Browns things. Oh, you know, the funniest, the best uh, tweet I saw on that, Bob, was Gil Brandt, another old-timer like us, right? He said the last, something like the last 14 coaches for the Browns have lost their first game. Yeah. Oh, that's hard to like, That's Belichick. <laughs> you know what I mean. I do. I do. I do think uh, Kevin Stefanski is looks like he's better equipped going into this than some of the previous coaches were. Um, but I don't know that that ensures anything other than continued misery in Cleveland because that's that's how it's been. By the way, Mark Andrews got like a seventy-one percent snap share this week, which is something he didn't get last year. I think that's the reason I was drafting him. Uh, was the expectation? That, you know, you you could see he's an elite talent. But you could see some headroom, too, because his snap share was kind of minimalized last year. Hopefully that all pays out like it did uh, this past week in coming weeks. 
The only question mark with Andrews is with this COVID, he has that extra risk with his type one diabetes. Yep. The, a little bit of a worry there. The other guy that hit that Reese was high on in our previous calls was uh, Russell Gage. Yes. And uh, and I I don't think so. People on Twitter think it's a fluke, and I I see that right. I could see him taking over Lost and Hooper role instead of first. Right. But at the same time, that Atlanta defense is bad. And Matt Ryan's going to chuck it a lot. I mean, yeah. those two things I know to be true. And right. I also think the Atlanta Carolina totals may be over 60 when they play. Because that, yeah. that's going to be a 60 and 600 yards pass. <laughs> exactly. The only hope is Todd Gurley doesn't get it all. Um, because they're bad against running back. They're bad against everybody, Carolina, right now. I – uh, so Gage, what did he get like last year? Was it 66 targets all last year? Something I think like or, that. something like that. Six, yeah, uh, that's stuck in my head. I don't know why. 74. But okay, he's gonna. Like I think he's gonna blow past that this year, and that's a big deal. That's a big deal in that offense. Yeah, and plus Julio and Ridley haven't been the most durable. I mean, let's just say it. You know, like they haven't been the most durable. And Julio's 31. That yes, if one of them misses time, his role increases. Because this role even increased with Muhammad Snoo getting traded. He yeah. Pick him up to the number three receiver slash four receiver if you're counting Hooper yep. or even Freeman. What else you got for for Bob? Are you at all concerned about Eckler's targets with Tyrod Taylor making a concentrated effort and with three players, but none of them to Eckler? Yeah, I was pre-concerned about this. <laughs> I mean, not, not that I feel like Austin Eckler isn't a great player, not that I think the offensive design doesn't work in his flavor, but clearly Phillip Rivers was locked in last year, especially under, you know, when the circumstances merited. So I kind of had dialed back a bit this summer, just given the price. Look, I'm a cheapskate by nature, so I don't like to pay for anything, uh, which is explains all my Malcolm Brown shares. And, <laughs> you know, so uh, – but – that was one guy I just I, I felt uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable drafting where he was going. Now, as the summer went on and he started falling into the second round, I was a little more interested. So for those shares, yes, I'm very concerned because you know Tar, Tar, I'm going to say his name the way he wants me to. Tarod Taylor is I think he's you know I think he's going to throw deep a little more. I don't think he's going to be locked in the short game. And when he does, he has guys like Keenan Allen who are phenomenal at that already. So. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about Eckler. We'll see. I mean, also, I don't think he's going to catch all 92 of his targets this year. And I don't think that that Taylor's going to play. I think Taylor, if he doesn't play better, he's he's not going to. Yeah, he's got to. Yeah, he's got to play better. No matter how bad Herbert is, or I may be, you know, I I still think of Bobby Hebert, you know, on on pronunciation. But uh, no matter how bad or raw he is, Taylor will not – the Taylor I saw when he fin- when he was last in Buffalo, I was like, uh-uh. And, you know, when the Chargers were anointing him, I was like, has he old dog new tricks? Kind of, you know, he's in his 30s. Is he really that much better? So I've kind of hung my hat on the notion, especially when I'm drafting Keenan Allen, who I felt like was really reasonably priced to draft. And I know there's different skill sets. So, you know, not necessarily true, but – I can think back to that 2015, like a nine game run where Sammy Watkins was literally unstoppable with Taylor as his quarterback. I mean, literally unstoppable. And, uh, and so I've kind of hung my hat on that a little bit. And I was kind of in on him given this week, given the matchup Bengals have been lousy against mobile quarterbacks. They've they've been lousy in general, but especially lousy against mobile quarterbacks. And uh, it it was an unimpressive showing. And you're right. If he doesn't uh, pick up the pace quickly, we're going to see the young fellow, 
doing more than throwing the ball with his flowing locks in slow motion on hard knocks. Yes, and we we're jealous of those locks, Bob. Yes. And I am too. I am too. And and he points out how much our common barber likes cutting his hair than mine for those <laughs> What other questions do you have? At right? least you have hair, you guys. Stop it. Now you're just trolling me. <laughs> no, if I was trolling, I'd be a lot less subtle. <laughs> <laughs> so, with jo are you at all concerned about Josh Allen's accuracy, considering his most accurate throw yesterday was his fumble to Bradley McDougal? Yes, I've been concerned about it all along, but <clears throat> two things. Uh, John Brown's the best player in the NFL. Hmm? That works in his favor. Okay, I'm being... He's pretty good, though. He's but he's good. better than people think. I think you get Harmon back and ask him. Yes. Our shared love for John Brown knows no bounds. Also, I mean, and he can't be the best player in the NFL because that's Will Disley. Everyone knows that as well. <laughs> um, beyond that, uh, no, I look, I've been concerned about it. I wondered, you know, if it was really a great situation for Stephon Diggs to end up there. And, uh, and, and, and honestly, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, we all saw the Twitter, the, the dimes dropped on Twitter, as they often are, because that's all they have to show us is that the one dime he dropped that one day. Um, it's, it's a bit of a concern for me, but, but I think he can be serviceable. I, just, I, I wasn't buying into Stephon Diggs at the price. I was buying John Brown because he was the cheaper component, and I do that a lot. Yeah, that's, so I feel the same way, Bob, in running backs and wide receiver groups. If you have two or three, especially two, and it's uncertain, always get the cheapest guy. Yep. Because the Cowboys. You, but Cowboys, uh, Gallup versus Cooper, there is a legit chance that Gallup leads that team in receiving. You know, you think of Thielen Diggs, whichever one's cheaper, great. You know, and this goes back to Isaac Bruce and Tory Holt, yep. you know, and it's if there's two, the cheaper one is usually because we see it as. 60%, 30%, 10, and it's really 51, 49, and one break here or there could spend some. Right. You know, in the end, it's all about the price. What am I, what am I paying to get this return or this level of return? And, and uh, the comparison is what bears it out. And I'm with you on Gallup 100%. Yeah. And so I've been a Gallup fan, not because, all right, CD Lamb looked great, admittedly. Cooper looked good la uh, last night. But there's still Gallup is the one that had Jalen Ramsey on him for a big chunk of the, you know, I, I see blue by him. Yeah. I see and, if, and if his name was uh, Cooper, he wouldn't have gotten that pass interference call uh, the, towards the end of the game. So there's that as well. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of riding the Amari coaster. It scares me. I scream a lot, <laughs> especially on the really low games. Well, that reminds me of the, I bring up to him all the time, the Vincent Jackson games. You had to start them every week, yep. knowing that you had three monsters coming, but you didn't know when. And that's how I feel about Cooper. You know, there's three monsters coming. You just don't know when. And so you – Great best ball play. But you because of, because of investment and sunk cost thought process, you feel compelled yep. to start him. Reese, yep. what else do you have for Bob? Thank you, Bob, for your time. Uh, this has been great. So I was thinking, let's go into a week. Uh, to the Monday night football as we're recording this on Monday afternoon. Let's start thinking about uh, Monday night. What are your thoughts on the first game, earlier game? Uh, the early game, I want to see if Pittsburgh's defense is as good as everyone says it is or thinks it's going to be or was last year. Um, I suspect it will be very good. Uh, you know, also, Saquon Barkley is very good. I, You know, he's a matchup-proof play, obviously, given the draft capital you're investing in him. 
I'm a big Daniel Jones proponent. I think the first month is going to be rough for him. Um, but, but still, I think there's room for big games from him, especially if the Giants fall behind. He's got an array of playmakers, uh, all of whom are capable of getting the job done at any given moment. Evan Ingram. Uh, we saw Darius Slayton rise up last year. I think people overlook how good Sterling Sharp can be. Sterling Shepard. Sterling Sharp. There, there I dated myself. Sterling Shepard can be – I mean, remember, they paid him to be the number one when they yes. traded Beckham away, and whether he emerges in that role truly remains to be seen, but their expectation was that. And we'll see if Golden Tate plays. I don't know. But, uh, you know, if I'm playing Eddie Giants tonight, it's probably going to be uh, – I would like to limit it to Saquon Barkley. On the other side of the ball, I'm eager to see what Big Ben does in his first game back. I'm eager to see the receiving pecking order there because I think we're all counting on Deontay Johnson to continue his rise to prominence, just like we were expecting James Washington to do it when Deontay Johnson did it. I think expecting James Washington to go away is maybe wishful thinking. I don't know that he will. And I want to see how Eric Ebron gets used to it. We heard a lot of buzz from training camp, how they were using him as kind of a chess piece and moving them all around the formation. And we know his proclivity towards scoring the touchdowns. Uh, I like that part of him. And so, so yeah, I'm, and, I, and I'd love to see James Conner stay healthy. Yeah, me too. So confirmation bias and stats don't lie, people do. I have two things that I saw this that I think are hysterical this week, all right? Pittsburgh wins this game. They're favored. Washington is alone in first place in the division. And you look on the other side, the Niners are alone in last place in the division. Stats don't lie, people do. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting with that paradigm, at least to me. It's, so, it's kind of I want to go on the record at saying I predicted the Washington football team would win this game this week uh, on Saturday night. Uh, and it's because offensive lines matter, uh, as we all know. And so that's one of the reasons that concern me a little bit about the Giants. I think Nate Solder being out. I mean, there's rookies. I just – I'm a little worried about that, but I do think that we're going to see some things. Uh, we're going to see the Steelers. Uh, look, there was what almost 2,000 fewer passing yards last year than the year before. Uh, there's going to be some value to be had here. Yes. You mentioned Ben, ben Roethlisberger. Um, last year in the week one, Giants allowed Dak Prescott to throw for over 400 yards and four touchdowns and against top 16 passing offenses, which I think we can assume – with Ben, the Steelers will be, as they throw the ball at such a high rate. Um, the Giants gave up, on average, 326 passing yards, two and a quarter touchdowns, which is, average. on average, almost yeah. uh, it's close to it's like 36 touchdowns if you average that over a year, which is about what Lamar Jackson had, exactly, and only half an interception a game. And the only – quarterback who didn't throw a touchdown against them was Tom Brady, but he rushed for two in that game. So, so you threw out the stats. Reese, what do you think is going to happen in this game? Let's, let's, let's put some, let's take those stats and say, Hey, that's great inputs. What's your outputs? What do you think is going to happen? Ben Roethlisberger th throws for, I don't know, I don't know 400 yards of four touchdowns is to be expected, but I do think he goes for a lot Lots Every time I say Ben Roethlisberger can't throw some number of touchdowns, he usually throws one more than that. <laughs> uh, I, it's usually after a week when he throws a bunch, though, when I say that. He can't do that again. Oh, and then he does. Um, I, you know, that would not be – it would not be a shocking outcome. Uh, we've heard great things about his arm. Um, if he's going to get it done, the seems – you know, week one seems likely. Although, we, you know, I tried to watch yesterday with an eye towards who was ahead, offense or defense. 
And it seemed like a mixed bag to me. I think it's, you know, and I think that would be the, that's the likely expectation. It would be a team by team thing. Uh, but I don't know if the Giants secondary has the personnel to uh, keep this in check. That the only the good defensive back they have now is Logan Ryan. And I mean, DeAndre Baker was okay against SEC competition. So you don't know if that was for real. But now that he's cut, they have really no one now. I like that part. Yeah, so does Juju Smith-Schuster. All right, so Reese is wearing a Pittsburgh uh, Palomalu jersey to be in fact. He's a Broncos fan, Bob. What do you think of the late game? Uh, we'll see. I've, I think I'm just seeing here about Cortland Sutton. You know, I, I, my expectation is he doesn't play. Um, I think it would be smart if he didn't play. You know, I know Mike Cliss from Nine News in Denver made the really great point, you know, do you want him at 60% this week or do you want him at, and then at 60% going forward or do you want him closer to 90%, 95% next week, week after? So I think, you know, this is going to put a lot of onus on the ground attack. I think we'll see what, you know, a lot of Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. Uh, I, I mean, I'm kind of interested in Jerry Judy, but we have a pretty narrow band of, of evidence that Drew Locke is really a good quarterback. Um, <clears throat> I'm hopeful. I wanted to, I wanted to, I want what we saw late last year to turn into a thing this year because I like some of the weapons around him. Um, but I think this is going to be a Derrick Henry game. Uh, and if it is a Derrick Henry game, that doesn't mean Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown, maybe Jonu Smith can still get something done. I know Teron Davenport, who covers the team for ESPN, is expecting big seasons from both A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. Uh, I wouldn't expect that starting tonight because Davis is a little bit hamstrung. But, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, look, if I'm playing people in this game, I'm playing Derrick Henry for sure. I'm playing Melvin Gordon for sure. Uh, I'm going to, you know, and again, we don't know how the backfield is necessarily going to play out. Philip Lindsay was really good for the last couple of years. Also they paid Melvin Gordon $8 million to come be good this year. Uh, you know, so, I mean, I think as much as teams lie and everybody lies, they do speak a little bit with their investments in the draft capital they spend on people. Uh, you know, just like in, in Indy, I think, you know, I think they just announced that while we're on the phone, Jonathan Taylor's a starter. This was going to happen at some point anyway. Right. I mean, they told us this, uh, on draft night. So, uh, so I would expect the, you know, some of those things to come true that I would expect with Melvin Gordon being the lead back. And, uh, and honestly, I don't really know what to expect in this one in terms of, of high end production. What I've been told is, you know, Derrick Henry, they're going to start treating him the way they treated him the last half of the last season, starting week one, that maybe we don't see 30 carries every week, but we see 25. And so, and I know he's been working on his game as a receiver. I'm really excited about Derrick Henry. I think maybe he was a guy that people kind of overlooked and went with the flashier pieces in the draft, the Clyde Edwards, the Lairs and, and Alvin Kamara. And, and look, uh, you know, eyeball test on Alvin Kamara yesterday was my eyeballs don't move fast enough. <laughs> he looks really fast. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's, you know, I don't think any of the guys that were being picked ahead of Henry is bad. I just think, you know, man, Derrick Henry, it's easy to overlook that body of work over the course of the season. And especially as it gets later in games and later in the season, the business decisions he forces on those trying to tackle him is, uh, you know, it adds up. In the business decisions, when he says that, he is referencing a quote from Deion Sanders 20 years ago when Deion chose not to tackle someone. And they go, so, Deion, why didn't you tackle? I forgot who the, play, the running back is. It was a business decision. <laughs> is that, do you remember that? I'm yes. sure. Reese, you have a, I know Reese has a Derrick Henry versus Broncos from last year's stat. He, I could just do it. Say. Tell me how right I am. Oh, well, last year, the Broncos shut out the Titans. 
and Derrick Henry only got 32 rushing yards Damn. off of 15 carries. So I don't he know. He needs more. I don't know if it if this is going to happen again this year as Tannehill only played half that game. But it could happen that way. It could happen a lot of different ways today. And also – Yeah, I, I do think that was uh, – there, there was a little difference in that game. That offensive just in general was pretty moribund with, uh, with Marcus Mariota running it. So hopefully – they, you know, people still fear the Tannehill a little bit. I know fantasy owners respected zero of that. Uh, in all the drafts, I got him in the 18th round. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I, I, I feel like that they need to give him – he needs that extent, extended workload, Henry. I think that 20-plus carries, you know, that's, you know, starts uh, – that's when you start wearing people down. So hopefully they get that. But I do remember that game, and it was kind of miserable. And you mentioned A.J. Brown having a big game, uh, big game and big season. Last year when, like, he was a focal point in the offense towards back half, he played A.J. Boye, who, I guess, with the Jaguars, who is now the Broncos' leading cornerback. And Brown torched him for to the tune of four receptions, 135 yards, and a touchdown. And his touchdown was a 65-yarder where he just completely beat – Boye to the middle uh, for like on 10 yards and then just took it to the house because Boye could not keep up. Brown, yeah, Brown and Metcalf, what we always miss, you mentioned Ball test, Bob, is they're fast. They're big dudes and they're fast. Right. And our eyes can't keep up with that. The, the old cliche, the old cliche, there's two things you can't coach, size and speed. Yes. Metcalf has more of both than everyone. Brown has a fair amount more speed and some size on most of the guys he's playing against. I thought Brown last year, I, I, I kept – every time I'd watch him, because what he finished with, like 58, 59 catches, I think. I kept saying, man, can he keep being – yeah, can he keep being this efficient? Can he keep making these big plays? And every week I would say, no, he can't keep doing that. Yet every week he would keep doing that. And part of that was Ryan Tannehill, right, hitting him in the right places in stride. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hopeful and excited to see if they can carry it over. Yeah, I expect it to be a lower-scoring game. I just – that's my whole thought with those two teams. Fangio's conservative. You know that Brable's going to be conservative. It's just one of those things. You'll think about it. Yeah, you saw the mask Brable was wearing this week. Yes. But to me, <laughs> A.J. Brown kind of – last year kind of reminded me of Alvin Kamara back his first two years. Not saying anyone's good, comparable to that, but we're all like, can he be that efficient? Yeah. This week, can he be that that efficient this week? And if he can keep being that efficient, and it's baked into his price, you can definitely see that happening. All right. Yeah, so. I think we're paying for that efficiency this year in drafts, and that always concerns me. You know, but I mean, look, like, look, everyone we're drafting in the first round, we're drafting at their ceiling, whether it's ceilings we've seen or in Clyde Edwards-Alaire's place case, uh, you know, perceived ceiling. And so I think drafting Brown that way. I think we are still getting a value if you're like looking at perceived ceilings. All right. So let's, let's start closing this up because we value your time, Bob, and we appreciate you. And so hopefully you'll come late, late in the season, you'll come back. And of course. So, man, this was a good experience versus I don't want to talk to those boys again. All <laughs> right. So Thursday night, Battle of Ohio. Can Cleveland rebound? I mean, it'll be ugly if they lose to Cincinnati, right? They changed your kicker first thing today, so that'll help. Seaver's out. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think they can. Like, uh, honestly, they have a ton of talent. You know, the offensive line has to, you know, get together. I thought that was the, kind of the more disappointing part 
Um, maybe a more concerted effort to give Nick Chubb the football would yeah. be helpful. Um, I mean, you know, I get the Kareem Hunt love, and he's an amazing player. I think Nick Chubb is way uh, underestimated as a runner, and I would like to see him get the ball a hell of a lot more. I think it would help everyone involved. Uh, but, man, Joe Burrow, the exciting new thing, even, you know, even in this game, uh, even a loss, uh, playing against a pretty tough defense. I just – he's an exciting young player, and I love watching him. Uh, so I'll be watching that, and I'm all so invested in Joe Mixon that I'm hoping he can get on track as well. I see this game being more of a Nick Chubb game with – we don't know if Geno Atkins is going to be healthy, and he's right. – and with their uh, nose tackle, I believe it was DJ Reader getting yes. hard off the field yesterday. They have a very weak interior line now. So that's basically where Nick Chubb's really great. And last – and yesterday – it was against a good Ravens uh, defense with – and once you get behind, it's going more into Kareem Hunt territory. And that's yeah. why Kareem Hunt got lots of carries versus – Although, you know, look, I would say that, you know, people underestimate Chubb's breakaway ability. I mean, he can change a game on any snap. You just need some volume to get it going. But I get it. I would like them to – I would like the Browns to treat him – the way Zach Taylor treated Joe Mixon late last season. And I suspect that was because he was the only guy who was actually good on that team late last season. But game script went out the window. It just didn't matter. They were giving the ball to Joe Mixon. And I'd like to see a little more of that kind of effort with Stefanski, which, you know, kind of his history as a coach, you would think uh, leads to that a little bit and the the blocking scheme. So I'm hopeful for that as well. Need more Chubb. Yes. So Reese and I have this disagreement on Chubb versus Kareem. Uh, and I've always been on the hunt uh, side only because I think a game script, right? I think the Browns are going to be horrible playing from behind sets up hunt. Plus we all, we have recency buys. I mentioned yes. we have recency buys. And so we forget how good he was in Kansas city. Cream hunt was very good in Kansas city. I can make the argument though. The reason why he was so good is the same reason why CEH was going top five fancy drafts. It is. I get it. So you could, Bob, you could tell the conversations we have at the house. And so the girls of the house, they don't really like these kinds of comfort, you know, us dominating with football talk. So Bob, we appreciate your time. We thank you for being on with us. Uh, where, I know you're on Sirius Radio. Anywhere else people can catch you? I think give me at footballdiehards.com. That's the easiest place. Tons of content there, articles every week, some podcasting. Uh, some live video stuff uh hit me on my twitter feed at football diehard every saturday afternoon i'll do a q a on the football diehards youtube channel so uh because i'm tired of twitter so so i'm answering uh, i'm answering on video the, this year uh, just to try it for a little experiment so check that out if you get a chance 4 p.m eastern time saturdays gotcha happy to plug you bob have a great one and thanks for joining us thank you thanks thanks reese thanks jeff 